Last call. Last call. Last call. What do you think of when you hear those words? Last call. Well, you have one more opportunity. You are being afforded one more opportunity before it's too late. Last call. You have one more opportunity to buy a drink where drinks are sold or to order a meal before the kitchen is closed. You have one more opportunity to see the last presentation of a certain play on Broadway before it is no more. You have one more opportunity to get on the train, plane or ship before it departs. If you don't board that train, plane or ship, you will be left behind and that opportunity will be lost. This is Paul's last call to the Jews. There has been a familiar pattern in Paul's ministry that you can see in the Scriptures of how he would go to the Jews first and enter the synagogues. He would preach the Gospel according to the Old Testament, showing them and proving who Jesus Christ is as the Messiah, as a Savior from the Old Testament with the hope that they would believe. And after he would preach the gospel to the Jews, he would go out to the Gentiles. You can see this record in Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through 48, where he's preaching to the Jews in Antioch. And Acts chapter 18, verses 5 through 7, where he's he's going to the synagogue in Corinth and to the Jews in Ephesus in Acts 19. Uh, Acts 19, verses 8 through 10. This is the pattern where the gospel call is offered and a remnant from the Jews is drawn to Christ Jesus while the rest remain fixed in their unwillingness to trust in Jesus as their Messiah, their Savior. This is the last call of of God through the Apostle Paul. Who will answer the call and get on board the gospel train following Jesus and who will remain trying to preserve what they are holding on to in this life burying their opportunity in this world let's look at God's word Acts 27 verses 17 through 28 The Apostle Paul is in a rented house in Rome. And it says, Three days later he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel, the hope of a Messiah, that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who has come 
who has come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. When they talk about people everywhere, they're talking about their Jewish brethren. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. As your servant, Lord, please speak through me to your people here today. May your word penetrate their hearts as well as their minds and feed their souls and convict them as it convicts me, Lord, by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to have your Bibles open as we're going to look at some other passages this morning because when I look at this dialogue between Paul and the Jews here in Acts 28, as I was preparing the message, the first thing that came to my mind was another conversation, this one between Jesus and the Jews in John chapter 8. And if you want to turn there, that would be helpful. In John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31, the issue is about slavery. It's about slavery. The Jews claim that because they are descendants of Abraham, that they have never been slaves to anyone. They have never been slaves to anyone. Jesus responds by saying, I tell you the truth, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's similar to Jesus saying a tree is known by its fruit. If you produce apples, you are an apple tree. If you sin, it shows that you are a slave to sin. That is your nature. That is who you are unless you are set free from it. Now, to be free in the eyes of Jesus is the ability to understand what is right and true according to God's Word and put it into practice. To be truly free means that you understand, not from your own perspective, but from God's perspective, from the Spirit's perspective, you understand what is right and true according to God's Word, and you put it into, into practice. To be enslaved to sin means that you are unable to do this. You are unable to discern or understand what is right and true in accord with God's Word, and you are unable to put it into practice. 
In verse 43, Jesus asks, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable, you do not have the power to understand what I say. You are unable. You do not have the ability to understand what is right and true according to God's Word. The Jews in John 8 and Acts 28 are not very different from the pre-conversion Paul. The Apostle Paul, when he, before he was converted as a Christian, after Jesus set him free before that, he was a zealous Pharisee. He was one who was a diligent student of the Word of God, and he truly believed in his heart that he understood it. He really believed that he had the ability to know what God's Word was all about. And when he was persecuting Christ Jesus and when he was persecuting Christ's people, that he was doing God's will. He believed this with all of his heart. And then he realized, post-conversion, that Jesus had set him free. That he did not have the ability, no matter how hard he tried, He did not have the ability to truly understand God's Word and put it into right application in his life. To do what is right in the sight of God. He did not understand that. He understood very clearly what it means when Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. He looks back on his life and he sees that he was bound by his own ignorance. It was not until Jesus Christ liberated His mind and His Spirit revealing the truth of who God is through Himself that Paul understood who God was. His testimony, consider His testimony. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12-16 through 16 in your Bibles. This is Paul's testimony to Timothy. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that He considered me faithful appointing me to his service, even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. This is the steadfast, upright Pharisee speaking. What I was as a Pharisee. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy Because I acted in what? Ignorance and unbelief. I didn't have the ability. I thought I did. But I didn't have the ability or the power to truly understand God's Word. What it truly is and what it means and how to live it. So Paul calls himself a blasphemer because he saw himself cursing the risen Jesus Christ. He tried to destroy the work of Christ. He sought to harm and persecute the people of Christ. All in the name of doing what's right in the sight of God. I look at that and I think, wow. That is an amazing confession from a former Pharisee. Because I think about the Jews of today and the Jews of old. If you were to ask them, do they believe in God? They will, without hesitation, say yes. 
Do you trust in God? Oh yes, we trust in Him. We trust in His law. They truly believe they have an understanding. The right understanding of God's Word. And Paul is saying, no. They don't. The Jews of John 8 proclaim that we have Abraham as our father. We are not illegitimate. We belong to God. And Jesus answers them. He says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. Abraham lived by faith in God. He knew he was not justified by the law. And Jesus, what we see here is Jesus is addressing two types of faith here in John 8. And as Paul is addressing them in Acts 28, there is faith in one's own works and faith in the work of God through Christ Jesus. The former is the effort to come before God on, by your own merit. The latter is trusting in the merit of Christ Jesus on your behalf. It is the difference of giving intellectual assent to God as your Savior versus trusting Jesus Christ to actually save you from the power of sin. Theologian James Boyce once spoke of a famous acrobat uh, who dates back to the 19th century, and he was known all over the world. His real name was uh, Jean-Francois Gravelet. I think I said that right. (laughs) But his stage name was Blondin. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was born in France in 1824, and as a young man, he was already doing amazing feats in France that drew crowds from all over the all over the country. As he got older and became more established and 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 uh, more of a thrill seeker, uh, he started drawing large crowds from America as well. and And one of his great feats was that they stretched a a, a cable across Niagara Falls over a thousand feet long. 165 feet above the water. And he first walked across it and then walked back. But that wasn't enough. He was a thrill seeker. He wanted to go beyond that. So he took a wheelbarrow and pushed that one across there and pushed it back. He took out, I don't know what kind of oven he took, but he, they said that he went out halfway and cooked an omelet <laughs> over Niagara Falls while he was out there. Finally... He, was, he was wanted to really thrill the crowd, and, and he took one of his helpers, put him on his back, and carried him all the way across that tightrope, that cable to the other side, and then all the way back. And he shouted to the crowd who had been watching him and cheering him. He said to a man near at hand, he said, Do you believe that I could do that with you? Well, of course, the man said. I've just watched you do it. Get on. Get on. And I'll carry you across. The man answered, not on your life. That is the difference between believing something on an intellectual level only and believing in the sense sense of belief that the Bible calls for you to actually believe, trust that God can carry you through. God can carry you through this life and into glory. Are you really hopping on His back and clinging to Him and by faith and trusting Him to carry you through? Or are you just acknowledging that He has the power to do it? 
Those are two different kinds of faith. Two different kinds of belief. I think about it, it's Abraham hearing God's word and telling God that he trusts him, but then trying to work out God's promises by his own power. And you compare that to when God commands Abraham, he's tired of Abraham's games, and he commands Abraham to offer up his son Isaac, the promised son, through whom the blessing of the world would be made manifest. Offer him up on the altar. And Abraham's arm has the knife in the air and he's coming down with it to plunge it into the heart of his son to offer him as a sacrifice to God because he knows that the only one who can save his son, the only one who can save him, is God alone. The only way they will be saved is by God's grace. God's righteous work freely offered to save Abraham's life, Isaac's life, and everyone else who comes to God by faith. So the Apostle Paul continues in his testimony. We're back in Timothy. And he says in verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Remember, grace is unmerited favor. It is the work of another applied to your account. So the grace of God was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What is the translation? What is he saying? The Son of God, Jesus Christ, set me free from the binding and blinding power of sin. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, has set me free from the binding and blinding power of sin. He set me free from my ignorance. He set me free from sin's power to control me by making me right with God. So here is a trustworthy saying, he continues, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world, verse 15, to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. So back to Acts chapter 28. Acts 28, Paul begins by giving a defense so that there is, if there's any story about him being guilty of some crime, he wants to clear that up knowing that that would be a hindrance to the proclamation of the gospel. Think about it yourselves. If I or another pastor was, was convicted of a crime and there was an ongoing in investigation, would you hear from my lips the preaching of the gospel? Would you receive it? Of course not. So Paul wanted to clear that up to begin with. To make sure that they understand that he is above reproach and that he's speaking the truth of God's word to them. The Jews who were invited to meet with Paul responded, him, responded to him by telling him that they had not heard about anything in his court case, but they've heard about this sect. They're referring to Christianity, but this sect that everybody, and I, like I said before, everybody who is Jewish is speaking against. 
And so verse 23 says, They set up a meeting, and larger numbers came than before. From morning till evening he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. The Jews did look forward to the coming of the Messiah to restore the Jewish kingdom, but they were looking at it more, more from a political angle, thinking that when this Messiah comes, he would overcome all the kingdoms of this world and establish the Jewish kingdom as the dominant one over all others, like in the glory days of King David. But that is not what Acts was preaching. It's not what God's people were preaching. They were preaching that the kingdom had already come in Jesus Christ. And it had already come in Jesus Christ in the sense that Jesus has restored us to God through His blood shed on our behalf. And, and uh, the law of Moses, the prophets, they all speak to who Christ Jesus is and what He would accomplish while He was here in this world. I was thinking of Daniel chapter 2, verses 31. This might be one of the passages that the Apostle Paul used where the small rock was cut out of the earth, not by human hands. And this rock overcame the kingdoms of this world. It destroyed them, becoming a mountain that filled the whole earth. This is the kingdom set up by God that will never be destroyed, according to Daniel. Jesus, who is the stone rejected by the builders, how often is Jesus considered the stone or the cornerstone or the foundation stone or the rock? He is the stone rejected by the builders, the Jews, who has become the chief cornerstone, the basis for the kingdom of God. And it is marvelous in our eyes what God has accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ. Verses 24 and 25 in Acts 28 say that some believed, but others would not believe on Jesus Christ. They began arguing amongst themselves and finally all departed when Paul quoted Isaiah chapter 9. Go to this people and say to them, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. That is the one thing you do not want to hear that it's basically too late. The last call was offered and you rejected it. The train is getting ready to leave the station and you're not going to be on it. Paul loved his Jewish brethren, but his faith in Christ sharply separated him from these Roman Jews who refused the gospel message. Paul understood the hard-hearted pharisaical mindset of his forefathers who had rejected God's word as prophesied by Isaiah. They had resisted the Spirit of God in the past and Paul grieves now as they are still resisting the gospel call to believe on Jesus Christ in his day. Only the Son of God Jesus Christ can set you free from the binding and blinding power of sin. There's no other way. 
It reminds me a bit of Johnny Cash's song, Folsom Prison Blues. I'd sing it for you, but I can't go as low as he can. So I'm just going to present it to you. Cash sings, I hear the train a-coming. It's rolling round the bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine until I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison. And time keeps dragging on. But that train, full of free people, keeps on rolling down to San Antonio. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy. Don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Think of the crucifixion of Christ Jesus here. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry. I bet there's rich folks eating in a fancy dining car. They're probably drinking coffee and eating caviar. Well, I know I had it coming. I know I can't be free. But those people keep a moving. And that's what tortures me. Well, if they freed me from this prison, if that railroad train was mine, I bet I'd move it on a little farther down the line. Far from Folsom Prison, that's where I want to stay. And I'd let that lonesome whistle blow my blues away. Last call. Last call. Last call. The gospel train is here. Christ Jesus has paid for your freedom by taking upon Himself your judgment for your sentence. Christ Jesus has even purchased your boarding pass through the riches of His amazing grace. Will you receive Him and trust Him to set you free from the prison of sin and restore you to God? Will you abide in His Word? Not just giving consent to what Jesus says, but trusting in His Holy Word day by day. Will you cling to Christ Jesus as He carries you along life's troublesome way, even into glory? Will you let that lonesome whistle, the trumpet blast of Christus Victor, that you are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, will you let that trumpet blast blow your blues away? Last call. Let's respond.